Just, just to kick things off real fast, I'm just kind of curious. How many of you in the room are, you are married? Do we have any people in the room that you're married? All right, now keep your hands up real fast. Now, how many of you in the room are a male that is married? You keep your hands up. All right, now, now keep them up for a second. How many of you who is a male that has been married has done something really stupid? Raise it higher. All right, now put your heads down. Now, ladies, how many of you, your husband has ever done something stupid? Anybody? Come on, be honest. You're in church, can't lie. All right. So we're all on the same page. So I'm married and my wife is such a big deal. She's such a bigger deal than I am. And I think that's really clear if you ever meet us. Um, so this past week, uh, my, uh, my mom's coming into town. She's hanging out. Uh, and so obviously uh, uh, my wife's mother-in-law, that's how that works. And so, um, so we, were, we were on vacation last week. We went down to Orlando, Florida. We did the Disney thing. Any Disney fans here? We got, all right, so I'm, you know what? I'm just going to say before we jump into the talk. I used to judge all the like adults who like Disney. I really did. I really did. I, I used to judge everybody. I was like, why are you wearing a tiara? You're 40. I just don't understand, you know? Uh, and then I went to Disney and my wife met Mary Poppins and she started crying. I was like, okay, that's awesome. Uh, so I'm kind of slightly judgy to her when that's happening. And then we, we rode Buzz Lightyear. Has anybody ridden the Buzz Lightyear ride? Which you're like shooting stuff the whole time. And so I didn't know a picture was coming up. And so all of a sudden my wife makes a funny face in the picture. But me and my 18-month-year-old son are both like locked in as a, like doing this all the time. So I no longer judge you. That has nothing to do with the talk, but I think we're clear on Disney now. All right, so we were on vacation, and this past week my mom's coming to town. We have like a three-day window, just kind of clean up and do the house thing. And so I've been at work, and I come home, and, uh, and so she's holding Henry. You know, you can tell when you walk in. It's kind of been a long day for her. And I walk into our room, and there's, it's not even, it's pretty, it's pretty clean, but there's one section of the room that's, that's, you know, just kind of a mess. And honestly, it's my mess, right? It's not even her mess. This is my mess in the room. And I walk into the room and all of a sudden I'm like, well, what, what's happening here? Why isn't this, you know, clean? Right. Yeah. Oh, it gets worse. you ready. <laughs> They're like, oh no, you know, it's hunting season now. Anyway. And so I, I walk in and I look at her and I turn around and I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm really not. I'm just, I'm just asking. <laughs> and I go, Hey, what have you been doing all day? As she's in sweatpants, holding our kid, who's got, you know, a little spit up on him and everything, doing one of these numbers. And I'm like, what have you been doing? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? And as soon as I said it, something like flooded my mind and flooding my heart. Number one, you're dumb. Number two, I thought to myself, how easy, right? How easy is it for us to go through our lives and just sometimes not be grateful for things, right? Like you walk through, it's so fascinating to me. One of the most tense days of the year is what? Thanksgiving, right? It's one of the most tense days of the year. Your, your in-laws come over, your, you know, your family comes over, you're all hanging out with each other, and you have that uncle that all he wants to do is talk about politics. You have the other uncle that all he wants to do is talk about religion, and then you have, you know, whoever your in-laws just telling you that you didn't cook good enough. You know, whatever that is, all that's happening, and it's this day where we're talking about thankfulness, and, and oftentimes it's just tense in our house. And when it comes to our lives, there's something that goes on inside of us that finds ourselves easily moving through our lives ungrateful. And then oftentimes when we find ourselves ungrateful, the people in our lives have a phrase that I think most of us have used. And if you've ever used the phrase that I'm about to show you, I kind of just want you to make like a noise, right? Can we just do that? Like you can like shout, you can, don't jump, that'd be weird. You can clap, whatever it is. But if you've ever used this phrase, then I would, I would love to hear from you. How many of you have ever said, after all I've done for you, you're so ungrateful? Let me hear you. Right. Are right, you done? Some of you clapping, like your husband's like, oh no, that was yesterday. Yeah. 
After all I've done for you, you're so ungrateful. If you're a parent of a middle school student, this is what you say almost every day. Am I right? There's something like, you don't understand. Like, I feed you. And I drive you everywhere. And even though you're going out with him, you're not going anywhere, but I paid for that dress. You know, like all of that sort of thing. Like, how can you be so ungrateful? And we see this in other people, but when it comes to ourselves, the truth is we, all, we do this almost all the time. Like, we do this over and over and over again with some of the people in our lives. And ungrateful, right, this idea of being ungrateful, though it's true, it does something to the people who have done something for you, Right? Ungrateful is true in our hearts and our lives, but it does something, right, to the people who've done something for you. In fact, we could say it like this, that ungrateful is directly connected with not getting what we feel like we deserve. Have you ever given somebody money, like on a loan that they'll pay you back? And not only did they not pay you back, but they didn't thank you for that loan that they gave you for the McDonald's thing that they needed so bad, you know? Have you ever, like, given of yourself or given of your time? And a person did something for you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I just never circled back with them and said, thank you. And the person who actually did something feels like we didn't get what we deserve. And what is it that we feel like we deserve if we do something for somebody else? What we feel like we deserve is a thank you, is a I appreciate you, is a I'm so glad that you did that for me. Now, the one who receives in these scenarios, we can talk about it like this. The one who receives asks the question, are you thankful for me? Are you, in fact, thankful for me? If you're in a relationship with somebody, there have probably been moments where you, in the back of your mind, no matter what they've done, just ask the question, are you actually thankful for the fact that I folded your clothes? Are you thankful for the fact that I made dinner? Are you thankful for the fact, now here's a big one, are you thankful for the fact that I worked so hard to provide for our family? Are you thankful for what I put into my job? Are you thankful for how hard I work? Students, here's another one. Are you thankful for the fact that I got A's or A's and B's this semester? Are you thankful for the fact that I didn't steal the car when I wanted to go on a date? Are you thankful for the fact that I'm not him or her? You know, you do the comparison thing. And then the ungrateful person says it like this. The ungrateful aren't aware of the need to thank. Now, that has nothing to do with what you feel, Right? You can feel thankful for somebody all day long, but the action of actually being grateful and thanking other people is something that oftentimes we miss. In fact, we could say it this way, that a lack of expressed appreciation will always lead to a lack of felt connection. Now, let me say it one more way. Let me say it one more time. A lack of expressed appreciation will always lead to a lack of felt connection, which means this, when it comes to your marriage, the more you say thank you and identify the specific ways in your marriage that the other person has done something for you, all of a sudden you feel what? You feel more connected. All of a sudden when you say thank you to your kids for something they do, all of a sudden you feel or they feel more connected with you. For those of you who are leaders in the room and you know, you're, you know, you're the boss at whatever your work is, the more you say thankful to the people that are working with you, the more they feel connected to you. But oftentimes we miss this and we don't even know that we miss it. Now, I like to think of this in terms of like a big loop or a big circle. Now, I'm not an artist. If you've ever seen me draw on this thing, you know that I'm not an artist, but we're going to try this real quick. So when it comes to us, we can almost think about this idea of, term, of being grateful or, you know, being appreciative for people in terms of a circle. There's this loop that happens in our hearts and in our lives where we've got to pay attention to this loop. And the first kind of step 
on this loop is what we talk about in terms of the action that happened, right? I did the thing, and whatever the thing that I did, I did it for you, right? Your 16th birthday, I bought you a car. It was a clunker, but hey, you've got a car, you know? Or you didn't fold your clothes. I know you don't like to fold your clothes, but hey, I love you enough to actually fold your underwear, right? I love you that if you ever question how much I love you, look, that's how much, you know, there's the action that comes with whatever's going on that we feel. And then all of a sudden there's this moment where you receive it, right? There's the reception of what's happened in that moment. Most of us get to this point pretty easily. We know that someone did something for us. We receive it. We're receptive to what had happened in that moment. And then comes this moment that we're going to talk about for a few minutes. There's this moment where we feel appreciation, right? Almost always, I think we feel uh, this appreciation in our lives, right? When we have this moment where we feel this, like, I'm grateful for what you did. I'm thankful for what you did. I appreciate you. But what we typically do, I think a lot of times what we typically do, is especially in the small areas, sometimes even the big areas, we get all the way around to the action, the reception, and then we feel appreciation. And then oftentimes we stop. And we stop in that moment, and what we do is we go, oh, in our brains, we go, oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much for doing that. And then we move on. Or we go, oh, thank you so much for what you did for me. And then we move on. And then all of a sudden, now here's what happened. All of a sudden, when we stop it at that point in the loop, we miss opportunities to connect, and we actually create distance in the relationship. Now, one of my favorite parts of the Bible is, uh, is an area of the Bible called Luke. Uh, and the reason it's one of my favorites is because the writer of Luke was a physician. He was a type A kind of personality. And he gave all sorts of details around what he talks about. So when you read through Luke, in fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think Luke is one of the best places to read. Because when you read what Luke has to say, he's not just writing kind of like lovey, feely sort of emotional things. He, he, he captures that, but he really gets after the details and the heart around what happens in the moments and the narratives that he talks about. And so this area of the Bible called Luke that he kind of wrote down, he's chronicling from a bunch of conversations that we, he would have had with people who were there about something that Jesus did and, and a set of things that Jesus said. And what Jesus says in this narrative is one of those moments where you get a picture of Jesus that you're not really painted uh, in, in like, you know, grade school. You're not really painted in vacation Bible school. You find Jesus do something extraordinary, and then you find Jesus experience an extraordinary amount of angst. And I love kind of watching uh, this moment. So here's what Luke says. Here's how Luke kind of talks about this narrative. He says this. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And so in the area of the world that they were living, you can kind of think of it, Galilee was kind of in the north, Samaria is kind of in the middle, and then there's everything going on in the south. And so if you're going to travel between the distance, what you're going to do is you're going to eventually probably travel through uh, this area called Samaria. And as he was going into the village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. And that's going to be important here in a second. They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, when we talk about leprosy, most of us don't really think about it because that's something that we like kind of cure, right? In fact, in the, in the last two years, about 16 million people have been cured of leprosy over kind of the, over all over the world. So it's something that we've kind of figured out. So you probably don't meet very many people with leprosy. You just don't do that. But in this time period, when it comes to leprosy, leprosy was one of those diseases that was viewed as highly contagious. 
It was viewed as something that if you got it, you were really just an outcast to society, an outcast to the community. In fact, they had specific areas that people who had leprosy would live. They had specific ways that they would interact with people. And even in their religion, this is fascinating, they, they were considered unclean. Now, that's, that's like a, a big thing to say. That's kind of looking at somebody and saying, look, you may be a great person. And, you know, I may love you, but you're unclean. I'm not going to have you over for dinner. You're unclean. I'd like for you not to be around my kids. You're unclean. I would love for you just to keep your distance. And so what people who experienced leprosy felt was this constant rejection by the people that were around them. Now, the other side of this, too, is when you talk about Samaria, he's right around the border and he's right around this area. Samaria was another interesting part of this whole kind of narrative that he's talking about. Because Samaria was full of a group of people called the Samaritans. And there was this tension between them and the Jewish people that were living at the time. And there was tension around religion. It was kind of like they had their own like knockoff religion of Judaism. They had this, this whole kind of, uh, you know, marrying outside people. And so they were you know, mixed, which is another big deal kind of racially at the time. And there was all this distance and all this angst around the people that were Samaritans as well. And so you've got these 10 guys who are yelling out and calling out. They, they had leprosy, calling out for Jesus to take pity on them, but really calling out for Jesus to heal them. And not just heal them in a physical sense, but heal them physically, emotionally, heal them in a way where they could re-enter society in a way where they wouldn't experience the rejection, they would experience inclusion. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus goes on, he says, when he saw them, talk about this group of 10 people with leprosy, he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, this is an interesting thing. Because the only way that they could be marked as clean in the community wasn't if they felt like they were healed, wasn't if they looked like they were healed. The only way that they would be marked clean and included into the community was if the priest looked at them and said, you are in fact healed. Now what happens next is one of those moments that if you're not a follower of Jesus, it feels a little bit odd, right? And if you're kind of, you know, new to Christianity, it might even feel odd as well. But what Jesus does is he sends them away and it's in descending and in their obedience that they find this healing. Here's what Jesus says. says, And when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, as they left Jesus, as they stepped out, as they did what he said, as they were obedient, they were cleansed or they were healed. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. How many of you in middle school, were, I'll raise my hand too, were slightly outcast in middle school? Anybody, Sally, like you felt like an outcast in middle school? Be honest, don't lie. Come on, you're in church. You had, you had Backstreet Boys hair back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you remember the rejection you felt at moments in middle school when you went to the party and you stood off by yourself, right? Do you remember the rejection that you would have felt in middle school when, you know, everybody else had a talent, but you didn't have a talent, right? Or you feel the rejection when you walked into, you know, a party and everybody else had their clique, you just didn't have your clique. Now, this is like a really tiny, like tiny, tiny example of this. But imagine if someone would have come along and said, poof, you're now included, you're now the one who's going to be like the popular kid in school. You're now the one who's, those problems are going to be solved for you. Now just go on your journey. You are healed from your weirdness and awkwardness of middle school. You now have a deep voice. Anybody remember that? Right? Think about that. Yeah. Like you're not squeaking anymore. Now you in that moment would have probably felt what? 
grateful. You were that moment would have gone, well, thank you, right? In eighth grade, right, if I would have been like this kind of talking, that would have been great. Now, if you take that idea and you multiply it by about a thousand, right, and you multiply that over the course of your whole life, and someone comes along and says, not, not just the pity thing, but I'm coming to you and healing you physically, and I'm healing you emotionally. And I'm giving you the opportunity to experience something you could have never experienced on your own. You would have felt grateful and overwhelmed in that moment. Now, we don't know how much time passes between this phrase and the next phrase. It could have been a day. It could have been a week. It could have been a few months. We don't know exactly how much time. What happens next is a person or one of the ten actually comes back to Jesus. Here's what the writer says. Luke says it like this. One of them, being the ten, who was healed. When he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Now, I love this. Luke, I love how he captures these details. He comes back in the same fervency. He comes back in the same passion level that he came at the beginning to Jesus asking for healing. So he comes to Jesus almost in this loud voice originally, like, heal me, you know, have pity on me. And then he comes back to Jesus in a loud voice, praising God, saying, thank you, 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 whatever that is. He comes back with that kind of passion. And then it kind of even goes further. Luke, I love the detail. He said this, and he then threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Now, this is a part of the narrative, like, if you're reading this and, you know, you would have been maybe a Jewish person, this one actually, like, stands out and it, like, comes out at you at this point. Because then Luke says this, and he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. And he was the one that currently you feel that angst against when it comes to the you know, racial kind of thing. He was a Samaritan. The Samaritan comes back out of the tent, throws himself at the feet of Jesus in a loud voice, being grateful. Now, most of us assume at this point that this is the part of the Bible story where Jesus takes off his sash, his blue sash, puts it away, you know, combs his, you know, long hair, whatever, then gives the guy like a Jesus hug, you know, all thanks, you know. But in these, these next few sentences, we get a picture of Jesus that oftentimes we don't even like to acknowledge or even like even look at. Jesus gets a little bit peeved, Right? I don't know if that's, is that a word? I just made that, peeved? He's angry. He's frustrated. He's a little upset, right? And what Jesus says next almost feels sarcastic. It's almost like blunt to the point. This guy falls at his feet. I was like weeping. Thank you, thank you, thank you in a loud voice. And Jesus responds with this. We're not all 10 cleansed? I don't know. Hold on. Maybe I messed up. It's probably not you guys. Maybe I messed up. Maybe I didn't actually heal all of you. Maybe I accidentally, maybe it's just the whole thing just worked on one of you. I wanted it for everybody, but we're not all ten cleansed. So where are the other nine? So I'm like, thank you, but where's everybody else? Where are all your friends? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Has no one returned to come back and say, thank you for shifting my whole life? Has no one come back and say, thank you for healing my heart and my life and allowing me not to experience the rejection that I felt, but to experience inclusion in this moment. Now, what Jesus doesn't say is, did they not feel grateful? He's like, why didn't they actually act on their gratefulness? The Samaritan returned to express what he felt to Jesus. Watch this. The other nine 
felt it, maybe, but chose not to express it. I love this. Jesus doesn't let everybody off the hook in this moment. He's going, well, where are the other nine? Like, maybe they felt the grateful thing, but where are the other nine? And the sense that we get here, which I think is such a, like a beautiful human moment with Jesus in this, in this way, is, is, is almost like this rejection feeling that you often feel when you do something for someone and they don't come back and express gratitude. Something that you feel when someone experiences the action, experiences the reception around what goes on, and maybe they even feel the appreciation but they don't fully close the loop to come back to you. Now, there's an author. His name is William Arthur Ward. He's a fascinating writer. If you've never read anything by him, it's, he's a very interesting writer. And he has this quote on gratitude that I think really sums up what this looks like. And he says this. He says, feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and then not giving it. Right? It's like wrapping a present, saying, I have this gift for you. But I'm not actually going to give it to you. For some of us, we forget. Some of us, we just don't think about it. For some of us, we feel appreciation all day long. We just never extend it to other people. The problem with that is unexpressed, unexpressed appreciation is felt as rejection in the relationship. In the moment when you're standing there with whatever the thing that you did to serve someone else, and you're standing there by that folded, you know, laundry basket of clothes, or you're standing there by that thing that you did for them, or you're looking at them, enjoy something that you got for them, and you're just standing there waiting, going, hey, did you like it? Did you enjoy that? Are you thankful? Did you appreciate it? What it feels like in the relationship is rejection. Now, I had one of these moments uh, this past week. I, I was working with somebody, and uh, we did something, and, you know, we, we took out some time. We did a whole deal. And all of a sudden, they looked at me, and they were like, you know what? You, you know, you didn't do enough kind of thing. They said, like, essentially, you didn't do enough. And I remember standing back going, oh, no. Well, but I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And it wasn't even that they said that I didn't do enough, but it was a thing that they didn't acknowledge the actual thing that I did. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh. And I felt the angst, but the angst that I felt wasn't anger towards the person. It wasn't, it wasn't being mad at them. The angst that I felt was rejection. Like I'm holding the thing that I did and going, you don't appreciate that part of it. And then three hours later, they texted me something else around this idea. And they said, thank you. And I know this sounds weird. They said, thank you. And I appreciate you. And all of a sudden, I went from like this feeling of rejection to like this feeling of like being on cloud nine. And I'm like, what is that? Like, how do I go from here to here after reading three sentences that were texted by someone? And the reason is we feel rejected and we don't close that loop up fully. Now, the principle around this that I'd love just to stick with you, and that's this. It's silent gratitude or feeling grateful for something that someone else did. It always communicates. Whenever you're silent with your gratitude, whenever you don't express your gratitude, whenever you're silent with that, it always communicates. It's always communicating to the people that are around you. It's always communicating in the relationship. Silent gratitude communicates, and what it communicates is ingratitude. Silent gratitude always communicates, and what it typically is communicating is ingratitude, or I'm not thankful for the thing, or I don't acknowledge 
the thing. And so what I really want to encourage you to do today, and we're going to wrap up here in just a second, is this. I think we should all work to close the loop in our hearts and in our lives. Now, this is fairly simple. I feel like this is an easy thing. This is not like groundbreaking. Oh my goodness, I didn't know this. But here it is. When the action happens, when you receive it, right, when you're receptive to it, when you feel appreciation, the way that you close the loop is super simple. Typically, it takes less than a minute. Sometimes it takes five minutes on the big end, but it's this. What I'm going to do here, right, is then I'm just going to express what I felt, right? I just want to express what I felt. And the small things that people do for you, really working hard to express the things that you feel. And the big things that other people do for you, working hard to express the things that people have done for you and the thankfulness that you feel. And so I got three questions that I really want to just kind of be in the back of your mind as you're kind of thinking through this for your own life. Now, the first question I think is one that I think should probably hit you right between the eyes. As soon as I read this, I was like, oh no, that's, that's me more times than not. And the question is this, what are you thankful for in your heart, but silent with in your lips, right? What are you thankful for in your heart, but actually silent with when it comes to your lips? The second question is this, who do you need to close the circle with? Since I started the talk, right, follower of Jesus, not follower of Jesus, as soon as we started talking about gratitude, some of you had like three or four names that popped in your head. And you stopped listening about three minutes in because you knew what I was going to say and you knew that you needed to text them. All right, here's what I'm going to tell you. This is kind of the big action set for you. If everybody did this today, I think it would have a significant impact on our relationships. If you had an answer for this, who do you need to circle or who do you close the circle with? If you texted them before you left the building today. I think it would just change so many of the relationships that we have. The last one is this. Who do you take for granted or who do you consistently take for granted in your heart, in your life? Without meaning to, right? For most of us, without meaning to. Who do you take for granted in your life? Simply through the silence of your gratitude. And silent gratitude communicates in gratitude. So I want to talk to a couple of you and that's this. For those of you who are like, you know what, I do this consistently, and I, and I know I probably do this consistently, and I don't know how to overcome it, I would tell you, like, I'm absolutely with you. And if you're a type A personality, and you're like a go, 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 go person, and you're like, I just want to check all the boxes, and I want to get it done, and you're a driven individual, all that sort of stuff, I'll tell you how I do it. And I know this sounds kind of odd, and I, I work on this. I actually try to schedule out time and space in my calendar as much as I can. Blank space where I just try to write thank you notes or send text messages. And then this is a weird one. You're going to think I'm really, really weird. And our staff's here, so they're going to feel weird as soon as I say it. But then I also carve out space to walk around our building and be with people and try not to think about things and just, like, say thank you. Like, I actually do. And that sounds so weird. Like, I'll pop, I popped in our kids' room the other day. They're all in a meeting, like, all serious, solving all the problems of the world. And I barge in like an idiot, you know, just being loud and stupid. Scared them all. It was great. And then I was just like, hey, I try, I try to say, like, thank you so much. Like, Pam, Pam works in our elementary. I was like, thank you so much. For, she got a mat because our, our son typically is here for two services. Got a mat so he could sleep. And other kids, a bunch of staff kids that do that, got a mat so they could sleep. I was like, thank you so much for doing that. And you're like, and, and you know, sometimes they're like, oh, well, you're so, you're so kind. I'm like, I'm not. I'm systematized, right? So I have to do that sometimes, right? <laughs> I try to. And here's why. And it's not because I don't feel it. It's not because I feel it all the time. I walk around. I'm like, I, I'm so thankful. But for some of you, this becomes hard for. You have to systematize some of that. You have to say, I'm not doing anything for the next 15 minutes. I'm walking around with a Coke in my hand saying, thank you for what you do. That'll change your workplace if you do that. Some of you, now come on, here's another one. This is free for all the dads. You walk in your house 
and the first five to seven minutes, even though you've got all work on your brain, you've got all that thing, if you walk in and you find something that your wife did or your spouse did for you and you say thank you, it changes the rest of the evening. It just does. If you can, just, if you can stop and say thank you so much for cleaning up the milk because he now can throw things and that's fun, whatever that is. Thank you for doing that. Thanks for driving them all over the place. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It'll change your marriage. The best compliment that my wife's given me in the last two months, she looked at me the other day, she says, thank you so much for working so hard so that we can go on this vacation that we went on. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, what's up, girl? How you doing? You know, like I felt great. I felt great, you know? There's, there's going to be a gif of that. So I'm floating here. I hope not. Don't do that. All right. So that's that. So the last thing I want to say is this. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I know this is going to feel a little bit odd, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I experience this probably the most when it comes to faith, right? Like around every Easter time, we'll watch like the Passion of the Christ or we'll watch something and it'll jar my emotions towards what's been done for me. The other 360-ish days of the year, it's easy for me to forget or neglect what's been done on my behalf. And so we come into days like today with baptism, or we come into days like today with hearing so many stories of the way that God's changed lives. Today you're going to hear so many. You're going to hear so many stories from kids and students. You're going to hear adult stories of the way that God's done that. And it can be easy for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that the longer you're a follower of Jesus, to feel numb to some of that. To feel numb to what he did for you when it comes to the cross and death and torture and rising from the grave. You can feel numb because you do that week in and week out. And so... What I wanted to do before we go into baptism, because it's so important, and you're going to hear so many great stories, but Brian is going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to ask you not to sing it. I'm going to ask you to stay seated. But I'm going to ask you just to be reminded of what's been done for you. That love, Jesus loved you so much that he came to the earth to live his perfect life, and he loved you so much that he died the most gruesome death on your behalf. That he was nailed to a tree. And he was nailed to a tree, most scholars say, at eye level. So that people could walk by and make fun of him and accuse him and spit on him. That he was suffocated for hours and hours and hours slowly. And that he died so that he could take all of your sin, all of your wrongdoing, all of the brokenness, you and the world on himself so that he could then come and conquer it all on your behalf and give you a way back to God. And then at some point in your life, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, he found you. And you found him. And your heart was broken open. And you experienced For thousands of years, people have been referring to in some form or fashion called grace and love and inclusion and acceptance and a way into a relationship with God. So these next few moments before we go into baptism, I would love for you to reflect on that. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, as you hear this song, I want you to imagine it's like a what if that's true. And for us just to pause before we go into these next few moments. Remember what he did for us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this truth. I thank you for what you did for us. And it's so easy for me, and I feel like it's probably easy for all of us in the room that are followers of you to move in and out of our lives, just ignoring what you did. 
not even ignoring it, but just like being numb to it, just not acknowledging it, not being or expressing gratitude. God, it's in moments when we worship, it's in moments when we sing, it's in moments when we acknowledge what you did for us that all of a sudden we find ourselves wanting to express the gratefulness that you've done on our behalf. It's moments when we hear stories about what you did for other people that we find ourselves wanting to express that. And I pray that today, as Brian sings a song, that you would just remind us what it is that you did for us. And God, that you would help us to fully feel that weight. To fully feel the grace that we've been given and received. And to fully feel what you did for us that we can never do for ourselves. God, for some of us, this is the first time we've paused all week, but I pray that you would help us to fully pause, that you would clear our minds and help us just to be so present in this moment that we're reminded what you did on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray.